Hello, and welcome to this week's Key Voices, conversations with folk in and around education. I'm Caroline Doherty. This week, we're talking to Jamie Rogers and Hamad Ali from The Difference. Jamie is Head of Recruitment and Community at The Difference, and Hamad is one of the Difference leaders working at the Pendlebury Centre in Stockport. We're going to be talking um, about what motivated them to get involved with the project and a bit more about it and hear Hamad's first-hand experiences of leaving mainstream provision to spend two years in an alternative provision with a view to bringing that learning about strategic approaches to behaviour and inclusion back into the mainstream. And as ever, I'd just like to remind listeners that this podcast is an opportunity to open up debate and discussion around topics. The views my guests and I are about to express are not the view of the key. For in-depth authoritative articles on the latest issues in education, check out thekeysupport.com. This week, I am talking to Jamie Rogers, who is Head of Recruitment and Community at The Difference, and Hamad Ali, who is Senior Leader at the Pendlebury Centre in Stockport, but also um, one of the Cohort 2 Difference Leaders. So hello to both of you. Hello, Caroline. Caroline. How are you? Hi there. Thanks for joining me. So let's learn a little bit more about the difference perhaps not everybody listening knows about what you do Jamie can you tell me a bit more about about what it is and and your story why did you want to join the team thank you Caroline absolutely so I've been working really hard on explaining this because up until September I was a practicing primary school head teacher um, and when I left headship and said that I was joining the difference I think a lot of people thought I was going to go and join a boy band and um, <laughs> that was a, the different title and um, the name the difference kind of many different things and um, but actually the difference is an education charity it was set up by our inspirational ceo kieran gill after her and our coo danny their involvement with the timpson review into school exclusions which happened back in two, 2017. so a couple of crucial findings came out of that report it was a big piece of work conducted over a few years and um, all about exclusions and their impact on on, um, on all schools today or, or back then and Obviously, the obvious result findings came out. Life chances are deeply, deeply ruined by being excluded at a young age. Uh, and also things like each excluded pupil cost the state an extra £370,000 over the course of their lifetime. So coming out of that, that report, Kieran used her ambition, determination, her, her real passion to see uh, improvement in, in, in exclusions nationally uh, to somehow, uh, using a great deal of guys, and, and that steely determination you just mentioned to secure funding for a two-year pilot program with the Difference Leaders Program, which we're going to talk a little bit more about with Hamad because he is now on the cohort two of our Difference Leaders. But in a nutshell, uh, the difference exists to raise the status and expertise of those who educate the most vulnerable pupils. And that's in AP and Cruise predominantly um, where our Difference Leaders work. So there are two avenues to our work, two kind of flagship programs. The Difference Leader Program, and now, more recently, the mainstream senior leader coaching, uh, which is called the Inclusive Leadership Course. Difference leader, which is what Hamid is, and he's going to tell us a little bit more kind of the hands-on mm-hmm. uh, on how the Difference Leader uh, program works day to day. But in a nutshell, we find the best teachers across the country, and we're expanding into the northwest where Hamid is. And we, we find the best teachers, middle leaders, new to senior leaders, and we give them intensive coaching, 
and support them to complete a two-year leadership placement in an alternative provision or pupil referral unit. And we're hoping by the end of those two years, the support we give them, the things they learn from those brilliant practitioners who are in APs and crews, we hope that they'll hone some skills that they need to then go back into mainstream school and spread that best practice. And, and, and what we like to call spread our waves of impact as well. So Hamid is one of the people who will go on and do that. Uh, our first cohort started in 2019 and they're looking to join mainstream schools again at the end of this academic year. And Hamid will be um, going into that position in 2022. So our inclusive leadership training, the second year of this now, we're working, we're working at the minute with big maps uh, like Art, Dixon's, Oasis, Inspiration Swift, and with, uh, as well as local authorities like Cheshire, uh, West and Chester. Uh, and we're supporting them to upskill their mainstream school leaders on things like trauma-informed practice, inclusive curriculum, restorative practice, whole school inclusion, and what we like to call big eye inclusion, um, with the hope that that kind of best practice in inclusion becomes something that all schools aim for. So as well as improving and reducing the rates of exclusion, inclusion across the board is something that the difference focuses on. Great stuff, and I'm... Um... I've got long experience as a as a primary governor in a school that has a really good, great relationship with our local crews and um, children tra travel between those those organisations. But I'm interested in you as a as a former primary head teacher um, making the move to to an organisation like like the difference. What is it that's motivated you? Absolutely. So I think. Um, it's a really good question. I've got, oh, how long have we got, John? I've got a little long story behind this here. Um, so more than anything, I love an underdog. Um, and I was actually appointed as head teacher in South Harrow, um, which is in northwest London, um, to a school um, that was, as I joined, in, in a pretty challenging place. So I was 27 when I became a head teacher, so I was fairly young in head teacher terms. I would say um, so. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. Uh, in any term. <laughs> Yeah, and I, I certainly felt young a few weeks later after, after starting that role uh, when we had a, uh, an Ofsted, which unsurprisingly at that time uh, came out as special measures a couple of weeks after joining the school. So I can't take the credit for the, the poor Ofsted judgment, um, but in the years that passed, um, I led the school for an academization after that, and we did a lot of um, inclusive work. Now, I wouldn't say going into headship, I was always, you know, I, I was... I was always an advocate for, for children with SEN at EAL, but it wasn't until I became a head teacher that I, I saw just when inclusion is employed in the right way, just how much of an impact that can have. So I'm going to challenge the community. There were issues in the community around um, poverty, around interaction with children's services was, was high. And a lot of children coming to the school, it was the first time in the country they were joining midway through the school year. So in terms of what you know how you describe that the head teacher we, we were up against it in all honesty um but it was a community that i absolutely love you know, like i said i absolutely love underdogs but the, the, this group of children and their parents they just wanted to learn so as well as supporting them through their learning we introduced lots of things uh, with a, a big eye inclusion kind of focus and um, to improve improve school life for them because i felt the years before i joined the school they weren't getting the fair deal that they, they, they so badly deserved and so we, we worked with John Lyons Charity to secure funding for a school counsellor. So we had a fully trained psychotherapist on site every day 
which is extremely rare for a primary school. And, and we're lucky enough to put that into place and the impact of that was exponential. Children were self-referring when they had friendship issues. It was helping to grow trust between teachers and children because we were working on whole school initiatives around mental health, talking about our issues. And um, we did lots of work on attachment theory with our, with our teachers. And the staff absolutely loved it. They grew to, to talk about this as a second nature. And even though we had that kind of special measures tag around us in the community, I think before long we were putting kind of the traditionally in schools that achieving great grades, we were doing lots of kind of cutting edge stuff around resilience workshops. Uh, we tried some things that didn't work. So we tried meditation um, in one of the lessons in year five, that meditate, mindful eating was the concept of the lesson. Um, a, a small food fight erupted amongst some of our uh, less engaged people, should we say. Um, but on the whole, I, I just saw this huge transformation and it was incredibly powerful um, for me. And it, it, sounds, it can sound a bit fluffy, I think, inclusion. That's one of the, the risks and the fears, I think, when we talk about inclusion like this. You know, there's a, um, there's a kind of a misconception, I think, of when inclusion is not done properly, when it's not tangible and you can't measure it, um, then it, it can become something like an add-on or, or people think of an excuse for why we're not achieving well. But when you do it properly, when you use metrics and you measure inclusion, um, which is something that difference advocates, which is one of the reasons why I wanted to join them beyond the cool boy band name that they had, of course. Um, the, the, when it's done properly, the, the example I, I used is uh, when we, we knew behavior was bad in the school, we had a feeling there was graffiti in the toilets one day, uh, children were, 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 would sometimes break into fights in the playground. So we knew there were issues. That's kind of a feeling. But when we introduce an app to measure the behavior issues in the school, where they were happening, what, what, what kind of issues were happening, uh, what time of day those things were happening, we could proactively put interventions in place to target them. And one of the things that attracts me so much to the work of the difference is everything they do is about using the metrics, measuring what's going on in school, and then using that information to inform inclusive practice which then has a knock on of raising expectations and standards across the school. So I, I think my personal journey really led me to join the, the difference, being a young head teacher, but also in, in a school that was likely to fail in all honesty. And we didn't fail because of the approach that we took. It was a slightly different approach. We knew that we could put lots of resource into to getting great SAP results, but sustainably that wasn't going to be enough given the challenges that we were facing as a school. Importantly as well, I think we know teaching is a hard job, but teaching in, in a school that's a special measures school or a school that's had uh, challenges or turbulent time of leadership change, that's an incredibly draining place for staff to be. But when we took staff on that journey of inclusion, they felt more included and they felt more uh, positively engaged. So as much as I am a massive advocate for reducing exclusions, I think the difference is work on inclusion the theory that they, they that, you know, that I'm certainly learning from being a part of the difference um, is why I decided to make the move from uh, headship to, to the difference. Great stuff. Thank you for sharing your story. And, and Hamad, tell me a little bit about what, what inspired you to get involved in the programme. Yeah, so I'm, I love working with young people, first of all, and I've really enjoyed being a teacher and working in a school, you know, students coming in every single day, something would be interesting, they're fun to work with, and there's the challenge of motivating them to do well. Um, and I really felt like me as a teacher, I'm able to inspire them, I am, I, I am able to 
relate to them well and motivate them to do to you know to do the best um, and when I was in mainstream secondary school, I really enjoyed that whole pastoral side of work. Um, so I, I managed to progress and I became like a progress leader head of year seven. And I really enjoyed that role um, working with students, finding the challenges and helping them resolve it. But then I came to a point in my, in my teaching and my role where I realized that I really need to improve my own practice because I'm seeing students day in, day out who are, who are being inter, you know, in the internal exclusion unit, who are being sent home. Um, and it's this constant cycle, which is always repeating itself, a vicious cycle. And when you look deep down into it, um, a lot of these students had a lot of background issues, a lot of issues that might have happened in the past or in the family life or in the home life. And I, I just felt as a school, we weren't always able to really help support them to doing well in a school environment. Um, and even within that progress leader role, within my second year and my first term, I was looking after year sevens. And we had three students that year in the first term who unfortunately had to be taken away from our school. Uh, one was permanently excluded. Um, one was sent to approve and one was sent to our alternative provision on site. And I just felt like I failed all students. Like there must've been more that I could have done, more in my practice, more in my teaching, more in my understanding and awareness of the issues that are around these students and how we could have really helped them. So um, I came to a point where I was just feeling I really need to improve my own practice if I want to go forward and I want to really help the most vulnerable students in our school. Um, I need to figure out what, what are the best practices in the country, what works with a lot of these students. Um, so I just managed to, I just got an email um, with somebody, just an email, um, and then I read up on this program, I, I checked it out, it's called the Difference Leadership Program. I clicked on the link and then whilst I was reading it, it really, the message was really resonating with me. It, it was like, I was thinking, this is exactly what I want to do. I want to learn about uh, how we can really improve the life outcomes of our most vulnerable students. Um, and I felt like I was in that situation where I'm seeing st students day in, day out, who are unfortunately in this cycle of getting excluded, being sent home. Um, and the best practices aren't being employed. So what can we do? How can we improve our understanding? What, what kind of solutions can we implement in schools that are really going to support them? And the more and more I got to learn about the programme, the more I read about it, um, I filled in the application form, the telephone interview that I had. Um, it just felt like this organisation, This it, it really understands exactly where I'm, what, what I want to do um, and the kind of goal, uh, you know, that we want to achieve together. Um, and yeah, when I was completing the application form, when I was speaking to people, everyone seemed to just be on the same mission. And there's a group of people, a professional organisation that, and really had inclusion at the heart of it, heart of um, improving standards for all our young people. Um, and yeah, that's it, that, that was the main reason. Once I found out about the programme, it, it really resonated with me, really matched my own passion. And then I thought, I'm gonna apply for this programme. And then the more and more I got to know people, the better it sounded. Um, and yeah. And, and can you give us a, a flavour of what it's like? I appreciate it's probably been a bit different um, this yeah. year with COVID, um, but um, what's it what's it like to be a, a participant? What kind of training and support and networking and things have you received? Yeah, I think it's intense, um, but it's very extremely well supported. Um, I'd, I'd say you're, you're trying to improve your own understanding and raise your own awareness, but then you're improving your practice as you're going along as well. Um, and and the, the beauty of the Difference Leadership Programme is they're really catered for all the issues that you might experience. Um, so first of all, with regards to improving your own understanding about inclusion, we have the Inclusion Leadership course um, that we go to and that other 
um, secondary head teachers or secondary leaders um, will come to those events as well and we'll share part of that uh, together. But then also the school that I've been placed, placed in, I've got our inspiring head teacher who's here, a fantastic group of people that want to do best by every single student. They want to really get to the root cause of the issue and help resolve it. Um, so the benefit of the programme is they're going to place you in some of the best places in the country um, that are employing some of the best practices that we can eventually take back into mainstream schools and implement them there. Um, so yeah, fantastic placement, um, excellent training. The, 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 you, you're given a tutor as well um, who will support you through the whole process. So in terms of like the leadership challenges that you face, how can you overcome them? Uh, and they're regularly supporting you with that. And also your mental health and well-being as well. So as a difference leader, you're going to come across a lot of difficult situations. Uh, and what we have is we have a regular fortnightly uh, session as well, um, where we can discuss some of these issues that we face and how we can kind of overcome, overcome them. So it just feels like the organization's really catered for everything that you might experience uh, and, and helping you through that journey. Uh, and then on your role to becoming that leader that eventually will go into a mainstream school where you will be able to implement policies on a school-wide basis. Um, so they, they are developing you as a leader as well by putting you in that kind of situation. And um, assuming that you that you hadn't had much to do with alternative provision before you were you were placed, um, how how did that how did that feel and, and what have you learned in the weeks that you've that you've been at, at your school um, about yourself and about how to work with young people? Yeah, so I think the challenge is, is coming from mainstream, um, you do need to adapt to your teaching, first of all, as well. So when you're in the classroom, how do you cater for some of these students best? Uh, and it is really about getting to know them and what works for every single student, understanding that everyone is an individual and there might be different, you might have to employ different teaching strategies that are going to work with some that might not work with others. Um, and that is something that every teacher can do as well, to really understand your child who's in front of you and try to employ those various strategies. Um, and then also as an organisation, I would say as well, some of the challenges that these young people face when you're in mainstream school, it can be a, be a bit difficult to really unpick those and find the root causes um, just because of like various constraints, whether it's time, whether it's funding, whether it's having the resources in place. So I think when you are in a crew, you really are able to get to know the student really well um, and you're able to, to find out from people who have got you know, fantastic expertise in this area what really works well for these students. So for me, um, it's been a learning curve. I've, I've had a, a lot to learn and I'm still learning as I'm going through it. Uh, and then the organisation will kind of support you with all the theory and research-based research evidence as well um, to improve your own understanding. Um, so yeah, um, I've had to adapt a bit uh, and it's been, it's been, it feels like it's been quite a lot um, at times, but I've really enjoyed that as well. Like this is exactly why I wanted to join the Difference Leadership Programme to be put into that kind of challenging situation where you really, really feel like you are progressing. Um, and I think that was the reason why I did um, join this profession, uh, join this programme is because I really did want to challenge myself and then eventually put myself in a position where I am able to implement positive, positive changes across the school. Yeah, it's interesting um, in my conversations with people who work in um, alternative provision or special education, where it is so natural 
to adapt, as you say, to the individual and their circumstances. And, and, and um, to your point, it just doesn't feel like there's the time or space or structure to do that in, in the mainstream. And you also have so many more children often in, in front of you. And it's sort of, that's the magic, that's the magic thing almost. How do you, how do you have that um, personal bespoke um, experience? but in, in the mainstream. Yeah, I think um, with that as well, is some of the approaches which are employed, so the trauma-informed practices, the restorative practices um, that we are able to employ in the alternative provision, we can employ in mainstream schools as well. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it is a case of is it like finding out what works best with these young people and then trying to implement them in schools. And I think this will be a question that we'll be touching on later on as well, is what you can eventually learn from places like this is, you when you do find out and you're able to spend that time and you you understand that traumatic experiences that a young child might face a young person may face um, it can affect them for for years to come um, you know it, it's something that unfortunately is always is, is probably going to be there for a while and it's how you overcome that in, in the kind of school environment so it might be a safe space in school it might be you know um the way teachers speak to, to students um it could be as a whole school, what, what is your kind of well-being safeguarding approach as well? Because unfortunately, sometimes we we are looking at the academic targets rather than the safeguarding of well-being targets as well. That that was very important. Um, and I'm, and the one thing I will say is every single person in education that I've met really wants students to do well. They're, they're passionate about and they care about them really doing well and uh, and doing the best that they can. But unfortunately, it just can become a bit difficult and. It's, it's beneficial having organisations like this that are able to say, oh, we've seen what works best in, in places. And, you know, if you try this strategy and you try that strategy, then it will bring about certain improvements in the school. And that's that's the other benefit, benefit as well of the organisation. And, and as you say, if you can then bring about change in a mainstream school at that structural level, so that children, instead of going down a sort of negative behaviour pathway, are, are being supported um, to develop and grow then um obviously that that is using your time and resources in a positive way um and and much more useful yeah jamie so yeah just to touch on that exactly exactly the kind of point that i have just made, made there Caroline. i think lots of mainstream schools do this incredibly incredibly well um and you know we're not saying that there's you know that we want no exclusions because that's just not a realistic thing for schools to aim for. But what we want to really empower people when the different leaders come back into mainstream or through our kind of inclusive leadership training from mainstream leaders is that it doesn't get that far. We we have the skills on our staff, but you know, we want to make it kind of a sustainable model where that learning can happen staff to staff and it becomes a quite an organic spread that we learn that way to, to you know, the trauma-informed practice or the early early intervention, those kind of methods is the kind of best early intervention to make sure that, you know, perhaps we, we can we can simply reduce the number of children that go to school. And sort of building on that point around, um, you know, people who haven't had much personal experience of alternative provision, what what things would you would you like those in the mainstream to kind of understand about about alternative provision? So if I touch on that first time before I hand over to your kind of direct experience, I think, Caroline, I think this now more than ever might be the, like the best time to look at alternative provision and see what's going on because we've got children after lockdown with interruptions that are currently ongoing. 
coming back into learning, finding that transition back into mainstream classrooms is quite tricky, quite difficult but for various reasons, you know, home issues, issues arising because of lockdown, anxiety alone about the pandemic. Those kind of anxieties might manifest themselves in, in kind of distractions from learning or disrupting lessons. And actually in AP day to day, every day, by the nature of the pupils who are educated in AP, the main focus of AP staff, teachers, uh, teaching assistants, support staff, is to get that child back onto the learning as much as possible. So actually, we think this is probably the perfect time to be looking at AP's increase for the best practice. Where that's happening really well, children may be coming into, into lessons disrupted or with, a, you know, with an issue from home that's unsolved, but the expertise that AP increased staff have is getting those children back onto the learning as soon as they can. And I think Hannah might touch on that in just a minute, but absolutely think during the pandemic or as we come out of the pandemic, it's, it's a great time to learn from Cruz because that expertise really is there. And we want to make sure that we're shouting that from the rooftops because if we're honest, sometimes AP and Cruz get an unfair representation or they might get a bad press that absolutely shouldn't be deserved. In the best APs and Cruz, the schools that we're working with, we know that that expertise absolutely and, and and Hamad, what would what would you say there about about what you'd like um, mainstream uh, teachers to understand about alternative provision? Yeah, like um, just to th there's a, there are a few stereotypes. Even myself, when I applied for this program, people were like, "What are you doing? Why are you applying for a crew? You know, you're just going to be managing difficult behaviour all day. Um, quality of teaching won't really be there because you know there's, there isn't that much of a focus on curriculum." But when I've come to this um, school, uh, Pendlebury Centre, which is an outstanding, outstanding division, it's completely different. You know, um, all those misconceptions are not, are not true. Students genuinely want to learn. They really want to work hard and they want to try their best. And it doesn't need to be this, you know, like amazingly fun lesson that people think is a fun lesson where you're trying various activities and you, you're getting people standing up. They just want a regular routine and they just want to, work in a safe environment where they feel cared for and nurtured um, and they, they genuinely want to learn every child that i've come across even in this uh, crew that i'm in at the moment they all want to learn but they just want to be in an environment where they are, they are able to thrive and build up the self-esteem build up the confidence and, and they excel uh, and i've seen that in a short period of time that i've been here um, and then also like there are very there are very high expectations in terms of behavior and quality of teaching, and this comes from the, the senior leaders that are in the school, the head teacher, uh, and the staff body. Um, everyone that I've come across, I've seen some fantastic lessons that are um, that are taken here. And what I'm trying to say is, these misconceptions that people have of proves where they're just managing difficult behaviour is untrue. I believe what the main purpose is is to get students back on track, get them re-engaged with their learning, and then give them a, a good chance where they're able to improve their life outcomes. Um, whether it is going back into a, a different mainstream school or getting the necessary qualifications for them to do whatever they want to do in their career. Um, and, and the final thing as well is um, what I would say is when the right care and support is put around them and we use the proofs effectively in terms of their expertise and knowledge, then it can be a, a, a system where they work in partnership almost. Yeah, And when the, there is that partnership, then they're able to say that, okay, when we do have a situation that um, a student might need a potential respite for a bit. They'll go into this group, wherever it is, um, and they'll they'll be able to build up their kind of social skills, their self-esteem, the confidence, and be able to hopefully go back into an environment where they are able to learn effectively. Um, 
And it can't be seen as something which is separate. It can't be seen as something that, okay, we've excluded this child. He's left our premise and he's gone somewhere else. No, it doesn't work like that. It works as in, in the partnership so that we can say, okay, what is best for this child and what kind of plans can we put in place for, to make sure that they thrive? Um, and I think at this place that I'm currently at, they do that extremely well. And they're able to build these kind of reintegration plans with, with high schools as well, where they are able to say, okay, so the student will be coming back and these strategies have worked really well. It'd be something that would be, you know, ideal for them in, in your setting. Um, and yeah, that's that's what I would say. I would say um, completely like misconceptions around crews do need to be challenged. Uh, and students generally that I've met really want to just work hard and do well. Um, and yeah. That's great to hear. And I'm interested in both of your thoughts about, about why you think exclusions have become such a frequently used tool for, for school leaders in, in certain schools, in, in, in certain contexts, because, um, you know, it's, it is an increasing number of students and with those stark statistics that you were sharing at the beginning there, Jamie, about, about a young person's life chances if they are excluded, but recognising, you know, you're you're not advocating no exclusions mm. but 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 why do you think um that that it's still happening to the degree that it is i think that's a really great question and i think i don't think anyone in education has the perfect answer to that question although like i said earlier the difference we'd always say that we're not not advocating the unrealistic unrealistic expectation that we'd have no exclusions mm. because there's some things that will happen in school where absolutely exclusion is absolutely necessary. As a head teacher, I teach myself, I was involved with fixed term exclusions, part, uh, permanent exclusions. And I've been there, I've, I've seen, you know, at certain stages, that is an inevitability. You can't avoid that. But when you look at the numbers, the number of children that this affects, you, you, you can see absolutely why it's a topic that needs to be talked about. Mm. So exclusions are affecting one in 200 pupils nationally, 50,000 children educated in Cruz or LAAP. Um, 29,500 children are in local authority ACs. Um, and our aim uh, essentially is that, to make sure that we're spreading the best practice that we've talked about because those numbers are, are too high. In, in 2018-19, and obviously with the nature of school statistics, you get a delay on those stats to come through, there were just under 8,000 pupils excluded permanently. So it's 40 children at every school day in that academic year. Uh, you know, that's over a class of children across our schools each day mm. getting permanently excluded. Their numbers are all high and, and therefore they need to be talked about. And we, we know, and I've used those, those measures myself, as school leaders, head teachers, deputy head teachers, we don't have the perfect armory of, of tools that we can use. And, and exclusion will be a tool that has to be used on occasion. But what we want to make sure leaders feel, because no leader wants to exclude a child ever. And when you have to go through that process, as I found, it can be quite, you know, it can be quite a disturbing process for you as a person to do that. But you want to make, we want to make sure that school leaders feel empowered that they've done everything they possibly could to avoid that situation from happening. And most school leaders do do that already. But if we upskill school leaders in the way that we're talking about the difference, we think we can have an even bigger impact on that. We can bring that number down even further over time. So. That inclusive practice that I talked about earlier is so important in that way. If you feel like you know how to de-escalate a situation, if your staff feel that, if you're spreading that best practice, the numbers will come down. Um, and, and that's what we're, we're, we're passionately fighting for. 
Yeah, and it's something as I say, um, in my own experience as a as a former chair of governors, it's it's a horrible um process. Yeah. Um, but there is something around certain certain young people's behaviour where you go, I'm not sure that the the staff in this organisation know how to manage them adequately and I have a duty of care to those people to make sure that they are safe or we don't have the facilities um, or environment to protect this young person or other people from this young person's behaviour sometimes. And and then then you are kind of left going, well, I think all that expertise and training sits over here in alternative provision. Um, so I think it's really interesting, this idea of how you bring some of that back into the mainstream um, mm. to prevent things getting that far. And, and Hamid, you, you said you'd had experience in your role of, um, you know, children that you were looking after in your year group move, moving on. You know, what, what do you what are your thoughts about about how exclusions are used? Yeah, so I, I think um, I agree with a lot of well, what Jamie said. Um, ultimately, in mainstream schools, there are a lot of pressures. There's pressures to hit academic targets. There's pressures, there's funding pressures, there's financial constraints. Um, but I think what we all need to recognise is that it's a massive area for improvement for all of us. Uh, and it's something that we really do need to kind of get a, a handle on. And the best way to do that is to, to, to raise your own understanding and knowledge and awareness of, of the best practices. Um, and find out what is best, what, what you know, research-based evidence, not just thinking, okay, you know, um, if we exclude a certain number of kids, then we'll be able to improve school behaviour. If that doesn't work, and we've seen that it doesn't work, then it's not the best way. So we do need to recognise, okay, where, in which areas in the country have things really worked well? Um, what are the best reintegration strategies? Um, if there are disaffected young people, how do we deal with them best? And I think a lot of this uh, trauma-informed practice, a lot of the, the behaviour management tools when we're using a restorative approach, it will help. Um, it'll help massively and it'll, it'll lead to a situation where we'll come to the majority of students in school being able to being well man managed in school, uh, where we're not able to, where we're not usually just excluding them to, to deal with the behaviour, but rather finding the root cause and dealing with it. And then there might be a smaller cohort of people that still do need to be excluded for whatever reason. And then they're sent to a, a you know, a crew where they're able to work with them in, in that kind of a smaller capacity. Um, but the majority of students that I've seen even in the mainstream, we can deal with them in a lot better way. And if I would have learned a lot of the, the things that I'm learning now about how trauma affects young people, and if the staff just had more of that awareness as well, and that knowledge and the, the senior leaders had that, then um, we'd be able to put other things in place. We'd be able to provide them more support, support for the families in whatever capacity we could, um, support for young people. You know, whether you, a student gets angry and they, they're not able to think about why they're angry, they can't think about, you know, what kind of decisions they're making at that, in that moment. It, it's difficult to, you know, make a judgment based off that because they're not in their right frame of mind. Um, and then I know something serious might happen, but we really need to find out what is the root cause of that, what could we have done a bit differently. Um, and I've seen that as well, like I said, in, when I was dealing with uh, my year seven cohort in, in high school as well, um, a lot of the students had come from difficult families, uh, difficult family backgrounds, um, might have been gang related, drug abuse, domestic abuse, you know, various different issues. And these are young people that we're asking them to manage themselves in the best way possible. Yeah, and they can really struggle with doing that, um, especially when they're in a school environment and there's a lot of other children and something's triggered them in, in a difficult way. 
Um, so it is a case of first of all, everyone saying that okay, we need to make improvements. Um, we're not we're not doing this in the best way possible at the moment, and let's raise our awareness and knowledge of that. And then the, I think courses like the inclusion leadership course that the difference run will really help mainstream schools raise their awareness. Um, one of the things as well I would say is when I've been to that inclusive leadership course and the, the other mainstream leaders that I've met, they all say the same thing. So it's not just myself or this organization that's saying it. They're saying that they genuinely really want to help young people um, and figure out what's best. And I think when you're able to take those ideas back into school, you're able to train up staff in the best strategies possible. Um, and you're able to kind of put that culture around the school as well. So making it a whole school culture uh, about empathy, about um, you know restorative approach, then it'll make a difference to students. It'll bring about a calmer environment. It'll bring about um, better strategies to, to support them. Um, yeah, it's, it's really interesting. It feels like you're um, kind of un unpacking that, that toolbox and in the way that you know, behavior is now looked at m much more about systems and at a strategic uh, level and a leadership level across an organization and less about a teacher's personality, frankly, and whether or not they can cut through or form a relationship um, with, a, with a child or, you know, or people are... Um, you know, behave for that teacher, um, kind of thing. Um, so I think it is really interesting to sort of say, look, there, there, there are techniques, there is evidence, there is all this stuff that you can that you can learn and implement in different contexts um, to help these young people. Um, really, really exciting to see how this this program is gonna is gonna grow and and change um, education for the better. Um, and just 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 thinking a little bit about about the future. You know, the DfE have already announced plans to sort of monitor exclusions in real time, um, and we we just we just mentioned a little bit about um, you know classrooms with children coming back from long period out of school mm. um, and the kind of impact of COVID. What what do you both think about the the sort of future of, of this kind of work and the likely impact um, of COVID? So I think in a post-COVID world, inclusion is going to be one of the most important things on the agenda for every school leader and potentially for everybody in education. And so for, for, for me, anything that raises the profile of exclusion and keeps it on the radar, keeps it as a topic that we're talking about, that we're thinking about, that programs like the different CD program are, are tackling, anything that keeps the profile of exclusions high is a good thing for me because it can so easily slip off, off the radar. And if we're not talking about it, then the problem will get worse. Um, so I think programs like ours, upskilling people like Hamad, the way Hamad's talking, as that spreads, I think that will have a positive impact. But in terms of the announcement by DFE, I think a really interesting observation that Hamad offered to me earlier this week was, well, Hamad, do you want to talk a little bit about the... Yeah, thank you, Jamie. Um, I think... Recently, we get um, the school would usually have a lot of referrals uh, by this point in time, but there was a period of two weeks where we didn't receive any re referrals. And it could be that she commented and she said it could be a couple of things. One thing that it might be is because there's a, a much larger focus now on well being and schools trying to understand that hold on one minute, a lot of students are going to come into to school who are going to experience difficulties um, with regards to their mental health and well being. And, and let's find approaches within school to kind of deal with that. Um, 
if we know there's going to be a lot of issues coming in, then what can we do in the school to help support them? Uh, but the other thing it could be as well is um, in this kind of COVID time, there, there might be students that are kind of being lost in the system. If the students not feeling up to coming into school or they're being vulnerable, they might just say that, you know, we're off school, we're experiencing symptoms, and they might be off for a period of two weeks. So you don't really fully know. But one thing that I think is very important is that well-being is on everyone's agenda everyone's talking about it. and i think that's very very important because i think a lot of our young people are affected in a lot of ways and not just covid with a lot of other issues which are traumatic in their lives um, and if we're able to create a well-being agenda in every single school and put it at the forefront of everything you know if people would say it's even more important than academic targets because if the well-being isn't there and um, they can't fulfill their kind of academic potential anyway so if the well-being and safeguarding aspects aren't really looked at or they're not proper priority, then let's make them priority. Um, and I think this, this might end up being, a, bring about a positive change, especially around COVID. You know, when we talk about a lot of the negatives coming through, one of the positive things may be that we do look at every young person and we say, hold on, what can we do to support them best? How can we support their families best? Um, and yeah, I, I think that will help bring about a lot of new thinking as well in this space, which is needed. Thank you. Yeah, as you say, it's so important actually really kind of putting the wealth, you know, well-being and welfare at, at, at the fore and recognising that if you can't remove some of those barriers to learning, then everything else is is a bit redundant. Um, and and I think a, re, a reshuffling of, of necessarily who the children who you thought needed that focus and attention might be because of that that period of absence um it's interesting your, your point around behavior i think i've heard some some anecdotes about how you know a lot of children are just actually really pleased to be back in a, yeah. in a structured environment with their friends even though you know mm. some schools may feel like it's a limited offer at the moment but you know actually they're they're, they're behaving very very well because they, they're, they're genuinely just pleased to be back um so we'll see how long that continues. <laughs> uh, Jamie, any thoughts from you there about about the kind of the future of this agenda? Yeah, it's, it's yeah. I think that seeing what comes the aftermath of COVID as a potential catalyst for that that change is something that I, I think it definitely, certainly after the initial period of lockdown, the, the children coming back into the primary school I was head teacher at, they were just so relieved to be back. So they, you know, the, the behaviour was golden for a period. Um, and obviously there will be challenges along along the way, but I think you know there, there is a mutual appreciation for children and teachers, uh, in, probably a, a huge appreciation for children. But a lot of children will see that the teachers have been there throughout. They've been going to school every day, particularly the most vulnerable pupils who we need to protect the most. And that for me is, is a great kind of relationship builder. If you can see that teacher cares for me, they're putting themselves out there during COVID to be in school, to keep school open through lockdown. That actually, I think, might be one of the best kind of relationship and rapport builders in schools that, that's happened in a long, long time, mm. um, particularly for the most vulnerable people who never actually stopped going to school. Things that, yeah. yeah, as you say, actually, that that in, in many ways just made them more visible. You know, they're always there as people are thinking about them, working about, you know, with them. But actually, physically collecting them together for some schools might have been a um, a new way of thinking about how to support them. 
Yeah, absolutely. And one of the, 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 the things that our CEO, Kieran, is working on at the minute, she's been talking about a vulnerability premium and the potential that schools get additional funding for children who are, you know, who have had a CP issue or, or who have been to child protection status um, in terms of their involvement with children's services. Um, and I think calls for the vulnerability premium will grow over time. And I think anything we can do to make the vulnerable more visible after COVID um, will be a massive kind of impact of change in education. Great stuff. And anything else you'd uh, you'd like to say to our audience or maybe tell people where they can go to find out more about the difference? Brilliant. So um, we are expanding the difference program into the Northwest, particularly for the different leaders program. And um, we're looking for the best teachers, middle leaders, the people who the things we've spoken about today resonate with them. We want them to um, come and join and potentially be our next cohort of difference leaders. So registration for that program opens on the 5th of November. Uh, remember, remember the 5th of November, nice easy date to, to keep in your mind there. Um, but we are really looking for those teachers um, in the Northwest, Yorkshire and Humber. So Hamad is one of three difference leaders and um, that we've got working in that, that region, but we want to make that an even greater number so that we can impact this change. So if you want to find out a bit more, you can go to the-difference.com or you can check us out on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, all the usual channels, just a quick Google search for the difference, but we're tweeting at difference, at the difference ed, I should say, at the difference ed. Um, and we'd be delighted to hear from all kinds of teachers, whatever your journey has been, if you're interested in our work, we'll give you a call and we'll, we'll, we'll have a talk about the potential for you to join our program. Fantastic stuff. And I know it's proving proving very popular and you're getting getting a lot of applications. So do encourage people to, to have a look and get involved. And anything from you, Hamad? Yeah, I'll just say that um, at, at the point um, when I made this decision, I really did want to improve my own practice. And I feel like the, the organisation now having joined it, it was absolutely the perfect, perfect route that I could have taken. Um, mainly because you are constantly being challenged, but you know that you're improving and also you are making a difference uh, from what you're learning and eventually you will be able to, you'll be in a position where you'll be able to bring about even more positive change. Um, and just the organisation in itself, it's very well organised, they're very professional um, and they just seem to know exactly how to help you develop as well, um, which is it, nice um, and it's very clear and you're in constant communication with them as well um, so if there are any issues they're able to help resolve it and i would say even right from the beginning from the application process you'll see someone will be supporting you and working with you as well right up until it, hopefully if you, you pass the selection center and you, you you fit the criteria you meet the competencies then afterwards as well it just continues it'll never kind of be there one moment and then go the next um, so yeah, I'm really enjoying it um, and I'm really glad to be part of it. And I'm really happy that I'm on this kind of mission, which we're all on, which, are, which is to improve the life outcomes of our most vulnerable people in our society. So, well, yeah. thank you very much, both of you, for taking the time out to talk to us today. And thank you very much for listening. Key Voices is produced by The Key, giving education leaders the knowledge to act. Members of The Key for School Leaders can access hundreds of articles on the latest issues in education at thekeysupport.com. And please tell us what you think of the podcast. Rate, review and subscribe or email me at caroline.doherty at thekeysupport.com with your thoughts and suggestions.